morning. Welcome to Grace Life. We are so happy that you are here with us to come together and worship the Lord this day and meet with him and be ministered to and to minister to others. Thank you for all of you who are joining us from home right now. We are uh, we're just so grateful for this church. We're so grateful for God's work in our lives and in each of your lives, and we pray for you. We pray the Lord is with you wherever you're at right now, whether you are on a, uh, a difficult path and really having to uh, just trust hard right now that God is good and that God is with you, or whether you're in a season of rest right now and the Lord is just refreshing you. We're just grateful that you are with us and that God is sustaining you. So we have a tradition on uh, Sundays when we gather together. There's a special Grace Life welcome, and I want to share that. Also, we'll get back to what was on the screen a second ago. We'll go ahead and do the welcome. And um, this is just one of my favorite things, and I want you to just let these words just sink into your soul this morning because, like I said, you know, not all of us are on the exact path right now. We're all walking each other home in one way or another. But uh, some of us are, um, we just feel our, our frailty and we just need that strength. Um, some of us, we feel worthless. Some of us are struggling. And we need to know that the Lord has not rejected us and that we are his no matter what. Even when we fall, even when we fail, that we are safe, that our salvation is, uh, it is forever and eternal, and that God is the God of restoration from the first day, from your first steps of faith, even as you stumble, he's the God who picks you back up. So let's, let's read this, this welcome, and you can just treasure it in your heart as I read it. Welcome to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. And we want you to know that whether you are at home or you are in this building, that you are so welcome because of the Lord Jesus Christ to be here and to be in his presence and to worship. So right up there, you'll find that QR code. You can just point your camera at it and it will take you to our scripture reading for today. It will take you to uh, maybe you want to share a prayer request with us. Maybe there's something on your heart. Maybe there's just, um, there's a need you have. That's a great way to connect with our church. Um, through one of those little little links right there. There's also a, a way to give. We don't pass a plate at Grace Life. Um, you can give a tithe or offering in the back. With our, uh, We have a donation box, and then you can also do it online. Um, and, yeah, and then there's also events and other ways you can connect with our church, maybe a, a community group. If you're looking for some fellowship outside of Sunday morning, we I uh, heartily recommend a community group where we meet in one another's homes 
and we study the word together. We do outreaches together. We have fellowships together. It's a great way to invite maybe someone in your life, someone uh, that you work with or go to school with or a neighbor, and maybe they're intimidated to come on a Sunday morning, but maybe they'll come and, and hang out with you at a cookout in a neighborhood. So uh, you can find more information about our community groups there. And today we are back in Psalm 16. We were a couple weeks ago, and Tommy's going to be finishing uh, part two today. So if you'll turn with me, we are going to read the entire psalm, Psalm 16, 1 through 11. And I'll be reading the ESV version. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you. My name's Tommy. I'm the lead pastor here. It is a joy to be back with you. My family's been gone for a week on vacation. We came back feeling refreshed, and I came back eager and excited to be back in this pulpit and to be back in this psalm. Uh, we are still in Romans technically, but I wanted to finish this psalm and give myself some more time to, uh, to plumb the depths of chapter 7. It's a really invigorating and exhilarating chapter. It's also challenging, and, I, and I've been wanting to study that and make sure I know, make sure I cut it right, so to speak. So I wanted to thank Kyle for, for preaching for me last Sunday, and I know we'll be hearing from Matthew Carr soon, so thanks to these guys and the others who, who fill the pulpit here. The bench is really deep for preaching here, and it wasn't always that way, and I'm grateful for that. That helps me. This is year seven. It's good to be able to, uh, for you to hear other people who are skilled and eager to, to preach the word. Um, what I want to do now is just pause and, uh, and pray for our time together. I know we all bring problems in, in church with us, and, and we should. You don't check your problems at the door. This is the best place to bring your problems. This is the, really the only place where you can find lasting uh, and competent help. Amen? So let's pray. Let's pause and pray for God to, to be here, to fill this place, to open our eyes and our hearts, to remove any hindrances or distractions. What Paul uh, asked people to pray for him, that the Word of God would move swiftly amongst us and would penetrate our hearts and that we would experience transformation here let's do that lord thank you so much for for the privilege of gathering for the freedom to gather here thank you for all that has already gone into this day the planning the prayers the practices the rehearsals people getting here early people who are going to stay late and and serve lord 
with their time, their talents, and their treasure. Thank you for the people that make it possible that we could pay rent here and pay the salaries for our church staff and, and do the outreaches that are meaningful and valuable to us, Lord. Thank you for the cheerful givers. I pray that you would fill our time, Lord, with, with meaning and with purpose, that we would just sense your power and your presence here today and that these words would not just be ink on paper you would make them come alive and the promise of isaiah 55 we would experience as we saw the rain early this morning and just uh think back lord not very long ago we had the coldest day in four years in florida and many things froze and and we're on the verge of death and we see the warmer weather the rain it's bringing back new life new growth and, and that's a metaphor in the Bible for what your word does. It will, it's like rain. It will accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent, Lord. We pray for new growth, for transformation, for thorns and briars to become uh, beautiful flowers and blossom, as your word says. Help us today. Help me, Lord. I pray I would just get out of the way and, and, and unleash your word today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we, before we jump into this psalm together... Uh, I do want to make an announcement, and you know, we, we don't guilt people here, we don't shame people, uh, we don't dangle carrots or uh, wave a stick to get people to do things, but we are a family, and we don't keep secrets either. So usually this is the time of year, it's March, this is the time where people start to experience a little bit of fatigue, and, and we start coming up a little bit shorthanded in some of our ministries that we need help. So I want to make an appeal today to you, I know we have some new members, we have some people who are regular attenders not every service that's done here requires membership. Some don't, but some do. But we need some help right now. We've got some people that have been long-standing ambassadors, which means they represent Jesus, they're serving, they get here early, they stay late, they do things during the week, uh, and they need a break. So I want to ask you today, would you please consider ways that you can serve, even if it's not especially the area that you're most excited and gifted to serve in, but maybe it's just an area we need help right now. Would you please talk to our director of ministries, uh, Diane Hendricks? Uh, I'm going to give you a, a slide. Thank you, guys. You already put it up there for me. There's a QR code there. Uh, we need some ambassadors to sign up to help. And, and we, we take the service and being in here, uh, we, we take it really serious, which is why we do a rotating schedule for people that serve during the service. Maybe they're in the back and they have to miss this. They're not back there every single week. We don't want that. That's a loss. That's, that's, that's not a win for us. We usually do a two weeks on, four weeks off where you get a break and you're in here. But listen, not everything requires you to miss a service. Some things just require you get here a little bit earlier, stay a little bit later. Some things you can serve during the service and not miss at all, like up there in that tech booth. So we have some needs, some specific needs right now for people to arrive early and help set up, for people to stay late and help put away, and for people to help with the media and the tech during the service. And we also have need for help in the back. So would you please consider ways you can do that? And there's another opportunity we have that you don't even have to be at this service to help with. And that is our Eureka uh, event that we have coming up on a Saturday on April the 9th. We need some helpers and some ambassadors to help with that. And, and Courtney Wampler is our children's director. And she would love to contact with you and connect with you and tell you ways that you can help with that event. Small ways, big ways, depending on your availability. So uh, just touch base with her at some point today. That date's coming up soon, and more details will be forthcoming. So I wanted to take care of those things before we jump into Word together. Now you can turn to Psalm 16, and we're going to camp out there. Psalm 16, and this is the fight for joy, is the, uh, 
is the title of this message, and yes, this is part two. Uh, the last message we did in Psalm 16 was kind of an overview. It was the 10,000-foot view. We just kind of looked at the forest, and today I want, to, I want to go down into the leaves and the trees and the twigs. I want to descend a little bit, and I want to focus on, on one particular area of the psalm, and I want to be more pastoral. Some of the things that we talked about last time, they may, they may seem elusive, hard to wrap your mind around. What is this? What does it mean? How do we do it? Why do we even bother? So in that spirit today, we're, we're going to get very practical. Um, the, the points that we looked at last time in our overview, the message Quest for Joy, we made three points. One, everybody seeks happiness. That's true of every single person who is in this building and who's watching from home. You want to be happy. Every single thing you do, you may not know this, but it's so that you can be happy. You think it will lead to happiness, but so often we choose paths as verse 4 says, that multiplies our sorrow. They lead to misery. But that was point one. Everyone seeks happiness. Number two, few people find lasting happiness. Most people are chasing some rainbow that think, they think there's a pot of gold at the end, and there's not a pot of gold. There's a, there's a pot of poop, right? <laughs> there's, there's misery there. There's agony. There's sorrow. There's disappointment. And he talks about that in the psalm. So those were the first two points. Everyone wants to be happy. Few people find lasting happiness. And then we talked about David's secret to happiness. What is it? It's at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in your presence, in the presence of God, the immediate presence of God, is fullness of joy, complete joy, an unending stream of joy, rivers of joy, replenishing, never stale, never stagnant, never ending. So, but somewhere with, within that is, is uh, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't like calling things secret. It just seems like, hey, the Bible has this secret code only a few people have deciphered. Baloney. This is public domain. But this is uh, elusive for some people. They don't seem to be able to wrap their minds around what it means. David says in verses 8 and 9, something that's really critical. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Check this out. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory, or my whole being rejoices. My flesh will also rest securely, or will rest in hope, this one version says. So I want to talk about that phrase at the very beginning. David says, I have set the Lord always before me. I want to talk about that. And and I really just want to make three points today. And then we'll be on our way. Point one, what is setting the Lord before me? What does it mean? Is it that you set the Lord before you like you set a cup of coffee before you? Or like you set a statue before you? What does that mean? Secondly, how do I practice that? David says, I do this. I've always done this. It's important. It's meaningful. It's a way of life for me. So how do I do that? And third, why should I even bother? What's the payoff? Why is this important for me to do? So hopefully this is pastoral and this is, this is practical for you. That's, that's going to kind of be our, our, our outline. So today is the fight for joy. Maybe you've, as a Christian, you've found joy, right? You've found the presence of Christ. That psalm tells us how sinful idolaters who are outside of Christ can in fact be brought into the presence of Christ through the death and the atonement of Jesus. Jesus made a way for us to be reunited to God. He brings us back to God through his suffering, through his death, through his perfect life. Now we can bask in the presence of God. But that doesn't mean that there aren't threats to our joy. We've got to fight for it. This is not just a happy accident. You don't drift into lasting joy. There is intentionality. There's strategy. There's purpose. That's what David is talking about here. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've done this. 
And I want to talk about this today because the name of our church is Grace Life. And a lot of people have found refuge in the truth about grace. That we don't earn our salvation. But some people get confused about what grace means. Grace is not against effort. You guys know that, right? It's against earning. There's a difference. Grace is not against effort. In fact, the people who fight the hardest to enjoy God are the ones that enjoy him the most. So that's really what David is talking about here. It's something that he has done, something that he continually does that has this amazing consequence where he's not shaken. He's not upended. He has lasting joy. He dwells securely. His whole being rejoices. And we want to talk about that. So point number one, what is it? What does it mean when David says, I have set the Lord always before me? You know, there's a translation of the Bible one of my Hebrew professors at the seminary I went to worked on. And here's what that translation says. It's one of the closest to the Hebrew. It says, I constantly trust in the Lord. A modern translation says, day and night I'll stick with God. I constantly trust in the Lord. I've set the Lord always before me. Here is my view of the life. Here's my practical day-to-day living. And I'm taking, I'm taking God. He is the most dominant and captivating reality. I'm setting him before me. He is in front of me. He is my path. He is my lens. He's the grid through which I'm viewing all of reality. He's the most dominating reality in my life. Here's a few other translations. When you're studying the Bible, by the way, sometimes it's helpful If there's just a tricky way that your translation says something, it's okay to check out other translations. Sometimes we get spooked and scared. What if it's not faithful? Well, check a few of them. You know, do do your research. You're intelligent. You can, all these things are available online now. We use the English Standard Version because it's readable and it's the closest to the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, but there are other faithful translations out there too. Here are a few. I keep him in mind. That's just a paraphrase. I keep God in mind. Every day and in all situations. I am ever mindful of the Lord's presence. I never lose sight of the Lord. I constantly fix my mind on the Lord. In Hebrew, this is what it literally says. I set the Lord before me continually. So does that help a little bit know what what this is? Um, and, And for the sake of clarity, if you are a Christian, you are always in God's presence. Right, the, the Latin phrase, quorum Deo, before the face of God, before the eyes of God. You're always in his presence because of Jesus, and, and you're never, you're never going to fall through his hands. Uh, Jesus said, all those whom my Father has given me, they come to me, and I will never lose any of them. My Father is greater than all, and none of them are going to fall out of, his, out of his hands. So there's assurance, there's security. But what David is talking about here is sometimes we've, we've lost the will to fight for that joy that we have in God's presence. For example, Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, because he was deceitful, because he had stole his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing, and Esau hated Jacob and wanted to kill him. You remember this story? His parents wised up and they said, look, you better get out of Dodge, buddy. (laughs) If you don't get out of here, Esau's going to kill you. Why don't you go far away, go to your uncle Laban, find a wife there, and then wait till things settle down. So Jacob is sent on his own, by himself, has a guilty conscience, He's afraid. He's wondering if he's squandered and wasted his whole life now, if he's, if he's lost God's favor and God's presence. And he comes to a place called Haran. Not Haran, but Haran. And it's dark. He's alone. He's not surrounded by servants. He's not surrounded by sheep. It's in the middle of the night, and he puts a rock 
I, I never understood this. He takes a rock and makes it a pillow. I mean, there's probably better options, bro. You know what I mean? Anyway, he takes a rock, he makes it his pillow, and he dreams that night. You remember this dream? He has a dream that there's a ladder from earth to heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending the ladder. And at the top of the ladder is the Lord. And he wakes up, and he says, wow, surely God is in this place, and what? I didn't know it. <laughs> I forgot. Is that, has that been your experience recently, maybe? You know what? God's here. God's with me. God is in this place. I'm always under his watchful eye. I'm always in his presence. He's, he's keeping watch over me, but I didn't know it. I forgot. And he says, this place is awesome, and he gives it a name, Bethel, which means house of God. That was like an experience, a paradigm-shifting experience for, for Jacob. And it can be a paradigm-shifting experience for us, too, when we remember that. And we say, I'm in the presence of God. I want to stay there. I want to fight to enjoy all the privileges and benefits of that, which is what believing the gospel does. You're finally in God's presence. You belong there. You're not an intrusion. You're not an unwelcome there. He wants you there. In his throne room, you can stay there boldly with confidence, with assurance. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But there's a fight to continually keep yourself there. Keep that mindset. That's what he's talking about here. Maybe the New Testament way of saying this would be what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. Abide in me. Abide in me. If a man abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Abide in my presence. Fight to remain in my presence. Fight for that reality, for that perspective. And, and you can notice that the psalmist says he does this always. In every situation, whatever comes his way, that's going to be his perspective. In every pleasure, in every trouble, in every responsibility, in every relationship, in every temptation, in every difficulty, in the prospect of death, he's not going to be distracted from that reality. And it gave him security, strength, obedience. It gave him hope. It gave him contentment. When he lacked, it gave him joy. When he was grieved, it gave him strength. When he was weakness, it gave him love for his enemies, endurance in trials. David is saying that, they, that God was always before him. That was the first thing he saw whenever he saw anything else was God. And so often we forget. You know, I, I forgot. Once upon a time, one of my kids flooded the bottom floor of a place we were staying at. They flooded it. I mean, there was, when we discovered this, water was already an inch thick. And I was the one that kind of heard it, heard about it, and went and investigated and discovered it. And my whole family came down there. And you know, the family, they're usually looking at dad. Is this serious? Is this funny? Like, ha-ha, water, yay. Is this, is this funny? And I'm a carpenter by trade before I was a pastor. And I know. You know what's going through my mind? Mold. I look at this one inch of water standing in the floor. And my kid somehow turned the bathroom faucet. It was loose. He turned it away from the bathtub and into the floor and went, hee-hee, and turned both faucets on full strength for about five minutes. <laughs> so when I saw that, you know, I didn't see, my perspective wasn't, God's here right now. God's in all this. You know what my perspective was? Mold, mildew, money. <laughs> and I lost it. I told it. Have you guys ever lost it? You say, lost what? Lost it. Lost my perspective. Lost my stability. Lost my hope. Lost my confidence. And I was just walking around. Seriously, my wife will tell you. I said, that's it. We're done. 
we're done. Insurance, I'm, th- I'm thinking, and they're all looking at me. And they, <laughs> this is a true story. And then, and then the toddler, who will remain unnamed, who did this at the time, was three. And they were walking around naked with a McDonald's bag on top of their head. I mean, I wish I could have that perspective. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've set the Lord always before me. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm going to think, you know what? God, God's in control. Excuse me. God's in control here. He's wise. He's sovereign. He planned this for my good. This is going to help me somehow. That wasn't my perspective, man. I lost, I lost it. It's easy to, to lose that perspective. It's hard. You don't drift there. You, you don't drift in the setting of the Lord. It's something you actively, intentionally, strategically, and purposefully do. That's the point here. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of seeing life. It's a perspective. It's, it's kind of a worldview. We, we talk about that periodically here. Worldview, everyone has one. And it answers three questions. What's, what's the world supposed to be like? What happened? How can it be put right again? Your worldview is, I'm setting the Lord before me. This perspective tells me how I view things like war and evil and suffering and temptation. How I view catastrophes. How I view prosperity. How I view adversity. It answers all those questions. C.S. Lewis said this once. I really like this quote. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I've set the Lord before me through that prism, through that lens, through that perspective. I view everything. I view the war in Ukraine. I view injustice. I view tyranny. I view money. I view sexuality. I view beauty and, and all, everything. I've set the Lord before me. He's my lens. He's my perspective. He's my worldview. That's my center of gravity. That's my benchmark if you're surveying land, right? That's the standard through which I view everything else. That's what he's saying. Even your gender. Look what Elizabeth Elliot said this. Now you're going to have to take this in, okay? You have to read it a couple times. This is good. The fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian. But the fact that I am a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. Isn't that good? Don't we need that right now? (laughs) Flip that and put it for man. Flip that and put it for kid. I've set the Lord always before me. It's going to inform the way I think about womanhood and masculinity and whatever roles accompany that. I'm not setting the culture before me. I'm not setting my peers before me. I'm not setting the politicians before me. I'm setting the Lord before me. He's setting the perspective. He's telling me the right way to think about these things. And when they're off, when they're off balance, when they're off kilter, I mean, man, if you go out on the internet, you're going to get 100 perspectives on any given thing at any given time. You can ask Siri, you can ask Google, and they'll tell you. They'll give you a narrative. And I can tell you, man, it's, it's, it's going to be really sketchy and iffy. You know, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, so sometimes you can find some answers, like a blind squirrel fly, finds an acorn every now and then. But when you're setting the Lord before you, there's confidence there. This is the way God wants me to think about this, view this, and behave in this situation. I'm broke. It's time to do taxes. Man, it would really be nice to just fudge these numbers a little bit and get a nice return. Lie about the number of dependents. Lie about my income. I've set the Lord always before me. God's going to take care of me. 
God values honesty and truth. Just, that's just one illustration of many. This is really communion with God, living in God's presence. Purposing to live in the presence of God at all time. And it's really, a, it's really resolve, resolve to do it. Again, grace is not against effort, it's against earning If I had to define this, and then we'll move on to point two. If I had to define this, it would be a firm resolve to live in God's presence. A firm resolve to live in God's presence. And that's a good question to ask yourself. Like of all the priorities in your life, of all the things that you're strategically working on right now, I had this goal, I got this dream, I got this, man, this is what you think about when you come to a stoplight. Right? This is the thing you think about when you don't have to think about anything else. What is it? It's like, I'm going to set the Lord before me. He's going to set my perspective. He's going to be the dominant reality in my life that colors and shades everything else. The way I view history. The way I view trouble. So how do we practice it? What does this look like? If you read the life of David, you really see, man, this is... I was reading 1 Samuel 17, one of the first introductions we get to David. And he's walking into the middle of a campaign, a war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And there's this champion giant from Gath named Goliath. And for 40 days, he's been walking down in the valley, staring up at Israel and taunting them. Saying, is there anybody willing to fight me? Here are the people of God, right? And they're cowering, they're whimpering, they're afraid, they're, they're sandals and and armors beating together. Even Saul, who was a head and shoulders above everybody else, God's choice, the king of Israel, he won't go and touch that. And here comes David, man, the shepherd boy, fresh off the pastures, watching the sheep. And he hears the taunt, and he's like, who's that? <laughs> Is, are, we, are we okay with this? I mean, we're okay with this uncircumcised pagan giant taunting? The armies of the living God, are you okay? I'm not okay with this. I, I just love David's perspective. And he starts talking. He's like, is anybody, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. And word gets back to King Saul, and he's like, bring this kid. Who is this punk? Bring him here. And he's like, look, this guy has been a champion from his youth, and you're just a, well, look at you. You're, you're nobody, you're nothing. And David's like, look, man, I live my life in the presence of God. I watch sheep. Sometimes a lion grabs one of my sheep. And I go after it. Sometimes a bear grabs one of my sheep and I go after it. I'll go after this giant too because the same God who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the claw of the bear will rescue me from this Philistine today. I love it, man. You read the story and just there's this sense of excitement. Like David really is not afraid. I was even reading this last night. I got chill bumps. It says the giant went down and approached and, and, and he taunted David. And he cursed David's God. And it says that David ran at him. Don't you love that? Man, I love that. He ran at him, man. There's this teenager. If he was even a teenager yet. There's this giant. And he's got a slingshot and, and rocks. And he's, he can't wait to get at it. Why? Because he set the, David did this from his youth. This is not just a New Year's resolution psalm that David wrote. He always did this. And by the way, I was telling somebody earlier today... This is one of the few psalms that we have absolute certainty as messianic, which means 
it also, not only does it talk about David, David did this. It talks about the Messiah. Jesus did this. So these are the words of David. I've set the Lord always before me. That's the secret to my life. Jesus said this because Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 quotes this for Jesus. He's like, Jesus rose from the grave just like David said about Jesus. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. So this was the secret to Jesus' life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was God in human flesh. And he had to live life in, in, a, in a fallen reality like, like we did. How did he do it? He set the Lord always before him in every situation. And really, this is, uh, there, there's three things. It, you're saying, are you going to get practical yet? Yeah, there's, there's three things we do. Let me get Elizabeth Elliot down there. Thank you, Elizabeth. There's three, there's three, three habits, you can call them, or rhythms that Christians are, are to engage in continually that I think fulfill what David is talking about here. One of them is prayer. One of them is reading the Word. And one of them is what you're doing right now, right here. What are we doing right now? We are gathering together for worship. Did you know that when you woke up today, you got ready for church some of you got ready, right? <laughs> you got ready for church. You know what you were doing? You were setting the Lord always before you. Sometimes it, it seems so, uh, we, we view things like this, oh, I can never do this. Yeah, you're doing it right now. Not everybody's here. I'm not throwing shade on anybody. Everyone has their reasons. Sometimes we're providentially hindered. Sometimes we're not. We just get out of practice. Sometimes we view church as if, you know what, I'll go to church today if all the stars line up. If I get a good night's sleep, if my favorite clothes are washed, if I can get the kids ready on time. I mean, I've been there. I'm a pastor. I have to be here. So, <laughs> But, but if, if that's our, you know, remember, a firm resolve to live continually in God's presence. This is not a happy accident. We don't drift into this. You made a conscious decision today to be here. Those of you watching from home, you made a conscious decision to do what you could, what's in your power and authority to do, to gather together with other Christians. And this is one of the most powerful and strategic things you could do this week. Did you know that? Congratulations, man. Praise God you're here. I don't, I don't want you to feel, you know, like, hey, thank God we're here. I don't know about all the other losers. That's not what I'm saying. Check this out. Ray Ortland said this the other day on, on Twitter. He said, this morning I did one of the most consequential, radical, crazy, wonderful things going on in the world today. I went to church and I prayed and the future just got better. I don't want you to downplay or dismiss what's going on right here today. You are sitting under the word of God from a flawed pastor, sure. Yeah, there's lots of other people you can listen to that are more skilled than me. But you're here. You showed up here to listen to God's word, to fellowship with these crazy people, to be helped by them. Some of you are going to go a step beyond this. You know what you're going to do? You're going to join a community group this week. You're going to find some weirdos that meet in a house near you. And you're going to join them as another weirdo. And you know what? You're going to, you're going to help each other. Whatever we do as Christians, we do better together when we're united. One of my favorite psalms besides this psalm is Psalm 73. A man named Asaph wrote that psalm. And he was troubled. He was burdened. He starts out saying, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my steps had nearly stumbled. My feet had nearly slipped. For I became envious of the wealthy and the powerful. He, 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 he somehow lost his perspective. He took the culture and he set it before him and he said, whoa, 
I'm making all these sacrifices for God, and I'm not blessed. They're blessed. Wicked people, pagan people, people who don't go to church, people who cheat and lie and steal, they're blessed. They have all the good stuff. I've got nothing. And he says at, at one point in that psalm, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it became a wearisome task for me. Have you ever felt that way? Life seems out of control, even though it's just out of your control. <laughs> That's the secret, right? The one whose control it's in, his hands are nail scarred. But life seems out of control, and you're trying to figure things out on your own, and it's a wearisome task. Another translation in, in, in Hebrew for that verse in Psalm 73 says, it became too painful for me. And then the whole psalm changes, and he says this, until I went into the sanctuary, then I understood. <laughs> you know, the whole paradigm shift in that psalm happened when Asaph went to church. He went to church, and God gave him clarity. Then he understood. And, and I say this often here. If you, want a, if you want a metric to know, hey, I went to this building today. I gathered with other people. They were reading the Bible and singing. I wondered, did I go to church? Here's how you know. It's not, did you feel differently when you came here? That's not ever a good gauge of whether or not something was genuine. It's this, did you gain understanding? Because that's what I'm seeking to do every single week. I'm seeking to give you understanding from God's Word. That's what we all need. I was seeking to understand my life. The cancer diagnosis, or the loneliness, or the conflict, or the agony, or the temptations, or the chronic fatigue, or the chronic temptations. I was seeking how to understand it, and I just couldn't. It was too painful. Then I went to church, and I got clarity. God's Word, like rain, just revived me and refreshed me and gave me fresh insight. Or that conversation I had with that brother or that sister in a corner. Sermon was terrible, but that conversation was amazing. And it, and it helped me. Or that prayer that that person prayed. Or the welcome that that person did. Or the testimony that I heard. Or the lesson. I was just a helper in the back. And the lesson was revolutionized my life. I hear that all the time, by the way. We use good curriculum back here. And there's people that are just helping. Maybe they're a new Christian. And they hear the lesson and they're like, wow, this puts it on the bottom shelf for me. Amazing. Coming to church is important. This is what Dave Mathis said. Dave Mathis wrote a book that you should get if you, if you enjoy reading and you want help in this area. I think I have a slide on this, actually. I do. It's called Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And, and the outline of that book is so simple. Some books on spiritual disciplines, habits of grace, they're very complex and you can lose your way. This is really simple. These are three ways that Dave Mathis helps us set the Lord always before us. Hear God's voice, that's reading his word. Have his ear, that's praying. And belonging to his body, that's what you're doing right now. Gathering, worshiping, fellowshipping. Hearing God's voice, having God's ear, belonging to his body. David Mathis says this. He says, corporate worship is the single most important means of grace and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy. Because, like no other means, corporate worship combines all three principles of God's ongoing grace. His word, prayer, and fellowship. So, praise God that you're here today. And beyond just making your pastor happy and thankful, this is so good for you to be here. That's why I spend so much time preparing sermons. That's why I preach 40 minutes or so. Because we only gather once a week like this. If we had a Wednesday night service, a Sunday night service, maybe I'd preach shorter sermons. But this is important. 
you got out of bed and got ready. I want to give you something to, to come for, right? Man, nobody said amen on that. I guess y'all want short service. <laughs> it's funny, man. People are like, man, you could have went all day. I would have been with you. And I'm like, yeah, right. Until 12 o'clock got here and you're dreaming a Cracker Barrel, right? This is what David Sunday said. Uh, and it's the idea that Christian, Christian community, what we're doing here, it's, it's like a 401k plan. I don't know if you've ever worked for a corporation that offered that. It's amazing, but they take money out of your paycheck. And you're like, ah, I could really use that extra cash every week. I mean, I thought that, didn't you? But listen, you could really use that cash, but it's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. Coming here today is not a sacrifice. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's an investment. And the same goes every, every time we gather here. This is what David Sunday said. You're here today, but your presence here today is not just for today. It may be for five years from now. It may be 20 years from now. It's for a time when you may find yourself alone in a cancer ward or isolated from Christian fellowship in a desolate place or in prison for your faith. Folks, those days may be coming to America very soon. Or in terrible turmoil within your soul. Or alone at home in the middle of the night after you've buried your loved one in the ground. You are cultivating the means of grace today for sustenance that you may need way down the road. That's what David was talking about. That's how you do it. So it's not too elusive. You're doing it. You're doing one of the three right now. And look, I pray. I'm not going to harp on you today. We have never had a time in the history of the world where there are more easily accessible ways for you to expose yourself to God's word. Say, I can't read really good. There's not a good translation. There's, there's Bible Audible. It's free. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Matt down here. He will help you find a plan where you can regularly expose yourself to the Bible. Sometimes people get all resolution-y on January, and they say, I'm going to read this Bible plan where I read through the Bible 10 times in a year. And they last two days, and they say, forget it. I can't do it. Look, take small steps. I would venture to say, because I'm a pastor and I'm 47, and I've been around the block a few times, some of you in here right now wish with all of your heart you could spend a few minutes every single day reading your Bible. You're not doing that right now. I'm not up here wagging my finger at you. I'm saying I get it. I understand, but it doesn't have to stay this way. So many people that I meet with for counseling and help, a few of the questions I ask, and I have to, a good counselor Ask questions before he gives an answer. There's a proverb about that. Answering a matter before you understand it or hear it, it's a shameful thing. So I always ask, like, talk to me about your Bible reading. Talk to me about your prayer life. Talk to me about your habits of gathering together. And guys, i got to be honest, there's always a trend. There is always, without fail, a trend. Those three areas are very weak when a person finds himself in a crisis and they need help. And look, I'm not... I'm not saying don't ever come to me for counseling. Please don't get that idea. I'm just saying we can, we can you know, he says in, in, in one of these verses here, in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. <laughs> I mean, this is a way for you to counsel yourself, really, to preach the gospel to yourself, to expose yourself, to put yourself in God's path where his word is, is saturating your mind. It's governing the way you think about reality and about your sin and your temptation and your victories and your triumphs and your trials so that's what david that's that's how you can do it you can find a way to read the bible find a way to do that start reading the bible just for five minutes a day pick a time where you're not distracted turn your phone off 
don't wait. If you, if you get really sleepy easy, probably the worst thing to do is say, I'm going to read my Bible tonight after I've binged on Netflix for four hours and it's 1230. When I lay down and I'm about to close my eyes, I'm going to read my Bible five minutes. You're not going to remember anything you read and you're going to wake up with your phone in your hand and say, huh? <laughs> five, after that second cup of coffee, maybe try it then. Or we're all different. Just whatever works for you. Ask God to help you find a way. That is setting the Lord before you. Belonging to his body, doing this. Have his ear through prayer. Hear his voice. That's what it means. These are the habits, the disciplines, the rhythms of the Christian life. And I will tell you this. I've been to a lot of places on mission trips. And every single place I've ever been to where the people are spiritually healthy, they're flourishing, they're thriving, they're strong, there has been a form of these three disciplines that have been regular for these Christians. And I want this so badly for Grace Life. In fact, Matt and I, our discipleship pastor, we're working, he's spearheading this. We're working on a class to offer, a special class this summer just based on this book. How do we help people enjoy Jesus? How can you enjoy, how can you set the Lord always before you? We want to help you. We want to put practical tools in your hand to help you do this because you're going to be a better Christian. You're going to be more equipped to face temptation. You're going to be more equipped to share your faith. It's a win-win. I think it's so easy sometimes to just lose our sense of awe. We just, we just kind of get in the rhythms. And my, my family, when we were in Virginia, we went to a place called, and I know I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pronounce it the right way. Did I get it in here? I did. It's called... Lorray? Is that how you pronounce it, Thomas? All right, I got it right for once. There's these this underwater caverns, underwater, underground caverns. And it's like a two-mile, I think, tour that you go to. We took all our kids. It's amazing. And we went, I think, pretty much the last day of the season, and it was like homeschool discount day. <laughs> and it was right before they closed. And, man, they were tired. They were tired. And there was a guy down there to meet us at the gate. And this is a guy that lives there. He works there. He clocks in every day and goes down underground, and he gives this spiel to people. He tells them, now remember, the guardrails will not bear your full weight. Do not lean on them. And you're going to be tempted to touch the stalagmites, but the oil and the resin on your skin could damage them. So you want to make sure and not do that. And make sure that you stay on the lit path and stay on the cobblestone. I mean, this guy's literally is half asleep telling this, and I'm just thinking, my wife and I went down there with the kids, and we left. I was on cloud nine. I have never seen anything that beautiful underground. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'm like, babe, this is incredible. And then I started to think, that guy lives here, and he's grown very familiar with this place. I bet it's been years since he did the tour on his own. He just kind of shows up there and says, this place is amazing. Don't touch anything. Be careful. Stay on the cobbled path. The, the, the chains cannot bear your weight. Sometimes we come to the Bible like that, don't we? We just, it's easy to lose our sense of all. That's what David is trying to help us do here. I mean, if David was able to do this, so often we read a song, we're like, man, I wish we could do that. Do you understand, man? David, David has a flip phone and we have an iPhone 13. If David is driving like a Model T Ford, we're on the other side of the cross. We've got like a 2022 Lexus. What was in 480 for him is like in 4K for us. We had the promises in full clarity. He spoke almost in riddles, enigmatically about the coming Messiah. He didn't understand all that. We do. We're on this side of the cross. 
we have all these assurances and promises that, that the Old Testament prophets just longed for and wished for, Peter said. It's pretty amazing. This is, this is a habit. These are rhythms you build into your life. Also, when we were on vacation, we were in the mountains, and uh, every morning there was a snowstorm. It was like 9 degrees, and then a couple days later it was 70 degrees, and all the snow melted. And these deer, these group of deer, man, they would come every single morning uh, just walking around the back of the place where we were staying there. And they were foraging for food, and my, my little kids figured it out, and so we had some carrots they would throw out. And, man, that's all it took one morning. We threw a few carrots out every morning, like 7, 30, 8 o'clock, those deer were there. And it began to get annoying a little bit. They wouldn't go away. <laughs> they, they figured out, hey, we can come here and we can feed. We can eat. This is the place to be. If you come under this cabin right here and stand right here, these little naked kids come out and throw carrots at you. I'm sorry. That was dumb. <laughs> we're on vacation, you know. Everything goes out the window, clothing included sometimes for your kids. So they came every morning. There was this... <laughs> There was one really annoying deer, man. He came every single day. He would just stand there. I think he stood there for 30 minutes one day until my son went and cut up some apples and threw to him. And you know, I'm thinking, if animals, God created the animal world. He created nature to like like habits, you know, like muscle memory. Like, hey, where's the food at? Well, there's food here at Grace Life. Every single week at 10 o'clock, you can come here. Hopefully, we're all beggars, you know, Telling other beggars where to come and get the bread. These are, once you do something 23 times, and say it becomes a habit. Every single night, my wife and I put this weird-looking loud fan out uh, for multiple reasons. One of them is there's a cat that keeps trying to get in our room, and it scares the cat away. It's a long story, but it's loud, and it blows. And, and the core, the way the cord is, it's right in the way of walking in our room. Every single night, we have a three-year-old toddler at some point who wakes up, and he's scared, and he runs in our room. He tripped a few times, but an amazing thing happens. Now, I have sonar hearing. I hear the kid crawl out of his bed and run, and I always jolt up, and something amazing happened. Early on, he would run, and you'd hear him hit the floor. It took about three or four times, and I hear this kid, and he goes, Mommy! And he jumps on her bed. It took like four nights, this three-year-old learned half asleep that there's a power cord here and he'll trip and hit his head. And now it's like, he's, I mean, seriously, it's amazing what human beings are capable of. Why can't we build healthy rhythms and healthy patterns? And look, I continually set the Lord before me. Not like this power cord that I'm going to trip on, but, but as a flourishing way of life. I, I know I'm, I need to finish here. I'm running out of time here. So here's the, here's the, here's the third thing. Why should I bother? Now, I told you we were just looking at the, let me get that deer out of the way there. Look at the second part of this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. The word for in Hebrew, it means shaken. It means to teeter-totter. It means to slide. It means to flinch, actually. We used to play that game when I was a kid. Did you? <laughs> and David's like, I ain't flinching. Go ahead. Hey, do your worst. I ain't flinching. I ain't afraid. I'm not shaking. I'm not moved. I'm secure. I'm anchored here. I'm not going anywhere. I got a friend, Michael Harsh. He has in-laws in the Bahamas. They've had a ministry there for years. And he was telling me once about, he said, man, there's these houses there that have been there for hundreds of years, and they have weathered some Category 5 hurricanes. These are like ancient cottages that were built, and they're still there. There's been things that have had hurricane codes, like 
million dollar engineer plans and they were blown off the island. These little huts are there. And I can't help but think of that when I think, I, w- I mean, I want to know who made those. What are they made out of? What is it that so anchors them and secures them? Because David says, I'm setting the Lord before me and I'm not flinching. Because he's at my right hand, I'm, I'm just as secure as he is. He's right here beside me. Nothing, nothing is going to make me teeter and make me totter and destabilize me. I'm good. It's like the car seat. And you guys have car seats that you put in your van, and they're a pain to get in there. But I've learned this. There's those tether straps, and when you tether the car seat, you know it rips the skin off your thumb when you finally click, it clicks in there. And then I always, like, shake it. I'm like, man, I want to get in this thing, you know? You are, you are as secure in that tethered car seat as the metal frame of that car. Whatever happens to the car is going to happen to the person in that car seat. You're firm. You're anchored. So when you've set the Lord before you and he is at your right hand, now this sounds heretical, but this is what the psalm means. You're just as secure as God is in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's what he's saying there. God's at my right hand. I'm not, I'm not going to be moved. He's right here. He's right beside me. Remember when I was little, there was a mean dog in our neighborhood. And he would come down all the time when my brother and I were playing basketball. And he was bold, man. He was audacious. He would run in our yard and bark at us. And one day my, my dad on a Saturday was at home. And he, he heard this dog and my dad ran out there and yelled something crazy. You know, like, get out here or something like that. Grew up in Arkansas. And, man, that dog figured out. My dad would come and he would stand beside my brother and I. And, man, that dog was gone. And I cannot tell you the confidence and the assurance that was elevated instantly. In fact, I was like, hey, 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 what happened? Come on back. Get my dad right here. Come on back. <laughs> He's got a weapon in his hand. I dare you. Come on. That's, that's the idea. I've set the Lord always before me. He's right here. He's, he's at my right hand. I'm not shaking. And then he goes on to say, my heart is glad. See, this is the fight for joy. I would venture to say, not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I would venture to say, maybe for some of you, maybe a few of you, maybe many of you, I don't know. If this joy has just dried up in your life. I want you, would you be honest with, with yourself? Not me. Be honest with yourself and with God today. Have you been, have you failed? Have you, have you neglected this practice of what David is talking about here? There's not much, if any at all, setting of the Lord before you. And your heart is not glad. And you aren't secure. Everything rattles you and moves you. You're radically insecure. You can't handle feedback at all. You're scared and you're worried. You think about the future all the time. You look at the world events right now, the war and the economy and the midterm election coming up. What are you setting before you? (laughs) What are you setting before you? Is it money? Is it beauty? Is it sex? Is it politics? We're all setting something. Ministry for me, there's only one thing that's solid enough and, and secure enough and powerful enough to set before you that will leave you unshaken and anchored and tethered, and it's, it's the Lord. And we have that more clearly than David ever did in the New Testament. We can abide in Christ because of his death, because of his life, because of his resurrection. Whenever we pull into our neighborhood in our van sometimes, I get aggravated, my kids unbuckle. It's like they smell home, and they're like, oh, it's safe, and they unbuckle. And I'm like, guys, most wrecks happen one mile from your house, and it, they don't get it. So I do something, I, I, I do an object lesson. <laughs> you 
You hear like, oh. <laughs> I'm kind of a cruel guy sometimes. I'm like, I told you. I told you. Buckle up. Do not unbuckle your seatbelt until we pull in the driveway. Because listen, you're not as secure as you think you are. Oh, we're home free. I'll just unbuckle. I don't need to set the Lord before me. I'm good. I know enough of the Bible. I know the good verses, John 3, 16. I'll just unbuckle here. Or watch out. <laughs> God's going to slam. <laughs> no, it's, hey, the, our future is uncertain in some ways. We don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what's going to happen in America. We don't know what's going to happen in the elections or in, with the war in Ukraine. Is it going to be World War III? I don't know. But I know this. If I'm setting the Lord before me, my flesh will dwell securely and I will not be shaken. And then the last verse, of course, says, it's the surprise and the glory and the gospel in the psalm when he says, at your right hand are pleasures forever. See, you set the Lord before you. He's at your right hand, and God says, no, you're actually at my right hand. You're at my right hand. I bring you into my presence through the death and resurrection of my son. I want you here. You thought you were setting me before you. I'm setting you beside me. Where I am, there you will be also. That's the hope and the promise of the gospel. Isn't that good? Well, there's a lot more that could be said, but let me end with a quote. How's that? J.I. Packer said this, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, thank you, painful place, and life in it is a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded as it were with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. He wrote that in Knowing God, a book that many of us cut our teeth on back in the, it was written in 73, such a great book, written through Daniel. And uh, here's, here's, a, here's a verse that became very important to me when I read that book. The people who know their God shall be strong and take action. Not what the world needs right now and needs to see that. Christians who are strong and they take action because they've set the Lord always before them. They will not be shaken. Their flesh will dwell securely. And we have the promise and the hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks when Resurrection Sunday comes that we'll be at his right hand. There's complete joy there and we have to fight to maintain that. So why don't we close this service now? I just want you to our worship team is going to come and play a song of reflection. I just want you to, to be honest with yourself and with the Lord. Have you drifted from these habits? Have you drifted from what David is, is helping us to understand here? Are you not setting the Lord before you? Is that not your practice? And are you sensing some insecurity, some instability, some weaknesses in your life? Maybe when it comes to temptation, maybe when it comes to conflict. You're like, man, my marriage is in a mess. My, my relationships and my friendships are in a mess. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling isolated. I think God wants us to really think about this. And our church wants to help you with this too, okay? So we'll talk more about this class that's coming. But for now, let's just pause and pray. Father, thank you so much for this uh, time to think about what David is telling us here, what Jesus showed us with his entire life, always setting his father before him and lord you you invite us to do that you want us to do that maybe some of us have strayed very far maybe we haven't picked up a bible in a very long time we've just depended on sermons and just uh whatever crosstalk we could pick up on a christian radio station help us to be honest today lord you want us to spend time in your presence you delight for your people to come into your presence no matter how long it has been 
since we've intentionally and strategically traveled there. We are always welcome back. That is the promise of grace. That's the hope of the gospel, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you, you pursue us, Lord, and you want us to pursue you. That's what it means to be an image-bearing creature. We enjoy being pursued, Lord, and, and that comes from being made in your image. There's a whole book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, that talks about the delight God has in pursuing his people and being pursued. And I pray that we would find our way back there. You would help us, Lord. Spirit, come and, and bring conviction, gentle conviction. Help us to ask for, for strength and for help to put this back into practice, Lord, and, and to set the Lord always before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a prayer team at the back. If you just want to spend some time setting the Lord before you in prayer, if you want to come and pray with one of us, we would love to have you back there. They're going to play the song of reflection, and then we'll have a few announcements, and we'll say our charge and, and be dismissed. Vitaly? All right, let's stand together as we sing our closing song.
Amen. You guys can take a quick seat. Just have a couple of announcements before we read our charge. And then we are dismissed. Um, so this month, we have a fifth Wednesday in the month. And every fifth Wednesday, we gather for a night of prayer. Uh, we commit to fasting together as a church. And uh, we have the, the three big prayers we've been praying this year um, for the next generation, our student ministry, um, for our own location, praying for a church building, um, and also for gospel conversations that we can share uh, Jesus with others um, through sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. So we'll pray through those things. We'll be praying for Ukraine and the war over there um, in Western Europe, or Eastern Europe, sorry, and uh, I think it can be an incredibly powerful time. So we invite you. It'll be at the Roths home um, March. What's the date? 30th, March 30th at 630. Uh, We would love to have you guys there to join us. Also tonight for our student ministry, if you are in sixth through the 12th grade, you're invited over for a movie night. Uh, We're going to have the projector screen outside. uh, So bring a chair or a blanket, something to sit on outside. Um, We're watching Nacho Libre. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great time. Yeah, uh, you will not want to miss it. Um, also, if you ordered a Grace Life T-shirt, I think it was last month or so, um, you, we placed our orders for those. Those will be ready for pickup next week. Um, so not only should you come to set the Lord before you, you should come to get your T-shirt as well. Uh, it's gonna be in the lobby in uh, next week after the service to pick those up. Last announcement. Today is the final day to sign up for the concert um, that we are inviting you to. Chris Tomlin and Hillsong United, um, both incredible artists. We sing a lot of their songs here on Sunday mornings. Uh, We just wanted to invite you to join us for a night of worship. I think it's going to be a powerful night. Thousands of people just worshiping the God of this universe. And uh, so if you want to sit with us, the last day to sign up is today. $20 a ticket. to sign up with us, go to the Church Center app and go to the Events tab. Uh, you'll see this same exact graphic there, or you can go to our website, gracelifeflorida.com. Go to the Gather tab in Events, and you can find it there. We're going to be meeting at the church offices. It's The concert's April 9th. Deadline to sign up is today. But on April 9th, we'll be meeting at the offices at 5 to caravan, condensed vehicles, to head down to the Amway Center um, so you're all invited to join us for that. And then uh, if you would stand with me, we will read our charge together and then we will be dismissed. All right, let's read. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.